Welcome to 24 Hour Expert, where we challenge each other to see what we can learn on random topics in just a day. I'm Allie. And I'm Amy. Let's see what we've learned. Happy New Year, Amy. Happy New Year, Allie. How was your New Year? Uh, Pretty quiet, relatively uneventful, which is really kind of the way I like it. Yeah, same. We saw some friends, but we didn't stay for the ball to drop because everyone has to get home and put their babies to bed. I don't have that issue, but it was still relatively uneventful. We had some friends over and they went home like immediately after the ball dropped. (laughs) So basic, same basic principle. Exactly. Yeah. We're not screwing up sleep schedules over a one day holiday. I'm sorry. No. It is a really fancy ball, though. I feel like the kids would really like that. Yeah. Well, you know, we just did a different country, so we could all be in bed at a reasonable time. (laughs) That's smart. I like that approach. Well, I'm so glad you're here and stepping up and taking over for Dan. I am, too. I know they are big shoes to fill, both literally because I think Dan has bigger feet than I do, but also because he did such a great job. But hopefully I'll be able to bring a new, fresh perspective in. And if not, I'm sure we'll hear about it in the comments. I'm sure. And I'm sure Dan will text me as well. (laughs) Don't share anything that Dan texts me. Unless it's good stuff, then I want to know. Yes, yes. And who knows? Maybe Dan will pop back in at some point. I'm sure he will. That would be great. Why don't we start? Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, Sadly, I feel like I'm pretty average, but also hopefully that will become more exciting with the things I learn. I'm somewhere between the ages of 29 and 39, if that's helpful to anyone. I'm married and have no children and no pets currently, but in the market for a dog. So hopefully that will come true soon. Yes. Um, I have maintained several plant lives for about a year now. So I feel like I'm an expert in that area. Not nearly to the level that you are, but three of them are still alive and thriving, I might add. Other than that, I have a day job in the finance industry that keeps me pretty busy, and I love to travel. Very creative and artistic, and hopefully I'll be able to use some of that energy here. Awesome. I'm sure as we record more episodes, we'll get to know you even more, but I feel like you left out the most important thing about you. What's the most important thing about me? That you're my younger sister. Oh, yeah. I have a sister. She's wonderful, and we are now doing a podcast together, which I'm sure is making our parents infinitely proud of us. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're already proud, but this is like next level Next level. Right. Well, when we make it big on Podcast World, I'm sure that they'll think this is fabulous. Yes, they will. All right. So are you ready to find out what this week's episode is? Yes, I am ready to learn. I have come prepared. Okay, well, usual alley, we're going kind of morbid. We're going to talk about the Tylenol poisonings that happened in the 80s. I wasn't alive in the 80s. I was not yet when this happened. I have no idea what this is, so we're going to start from ground zero on this. Okay, great. So you know nothing. So this actually came up in an episode, I believe it was the McDonald's coffee episode, and I just thought it deserved its own little breakdown. I'm not going to go into too much details on everything that happened in the case, just because there's so many other podcasts that have covered this. But I hope I can bring maybe just some new other fun facts. And then just to bring it back up at the end here, we're going to end with a game. We're going to end with a game in a morbid episode? It's not going to be morbid by the time we get there. I'll bring it around. You'll see. You'll see. I'm going to I'm gonna follow your lead. Great. <laughs> so like I mentioned, this happened in the 80s, specifically in the Chicago area in 1982. Someone had laced Tylenol-branded acetaminophen 
Which is, that's a tongue twister. That's a tongue twister. Yeah. That's a very brave for you to just go for it. Cetaminophen. That's one of those things I try and say several times before I actually have to say it out loud. Sometimes so much easier to say words in your head. And then when you actually try to say them out loud, they just don't come out right. Yes. Or when you're in your head about having to say a word, like if you're in a meeting or you're on a call and you know that the word is going to have to come up and then you've lost all context for how to say it. Yes. I hate when that happens. One word I can never say is obstetrics. That's the first time I've successfully said it out loud. It's, you want to know why? Because you didn't think about it too much. You were just going to share it. And then you were like, we're going to stumble over it. But now we're not. I always just default to OB. It's the OB. <laughs> there is a word that I often use in my professional life that essentially is equivalent to saying, I don't want to be the middleman or like how things work when you're in between. And I just avoid saying it at all costs that I have now just said, well, this is just to avoid being the middleman in things. And now I can't even remember what the original word is because I have replaced it so many times. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, now you're going to need to Google it. We'll Google it. I'm going to have to we'll know what do. the word is. I think it would be great to have a whole conversation about words that people struggle with. Because, you know, then there's the words that you just avoid because it makes people uncomfortable. Which yes. I'm not going to say because we don't need to make people squirm right now. Although I guess we're going into, like, death and murders and stuff, so... Kind of. But we'll save that because there's a whole slew of words that I don't like, but they're none of the traditional words that people assume. Yeah, I wonder what that is. I'm sure there's some sort of weird phobia yeah. that's like, ugh, this word. I'm sure there's a phobia of that phobia. Yeah. Okay, so back to acetaminophen pills. In this particular case, someone had laced Tylenol with potassium cyanide. And just to cover ourselves, we are not doctors. So I want to break down what acetaminophen versus potassium cyanide is, but again, not a doctor. I just Googled it and put it on a piece of paper. So this is like Science Alley segment? Yeah, a little bit of Science Alley here. So acetaminophen, and this is from drugs.com, is a pain reliever and fever reducer. You should not take it if you have liver disease and you need to follow the dosage guidelines because you can overdose on it, which... You know, Tylenol is one of those things you just have around. Like, I, I guess I never really thought that. I mean, I'm sure you can overdose on literally anything. I'm sure. Right, I think maybe not literally, but. Probably not anything we'd like to test. Right. But I guess it is something that I don't think of as being a dangerous, dangerous one using. Yeah. So if you are pregnant or nursing, you should talk to your doctor first. Acetaminophen can pass through your breast milk. So just FYI, nursing parents out there. And just a fun fact. Just because I don't know if you have a preference of Motrin versus Tylenol using the big brand names. I know there's a bunch of generics, but I feel like people are usually either like Team Tylenol or Team Motrin. Oh, yes. I feel like you align very strongly to your brand preference in this area. Or your generic brand all day, every day. Yeah. So I'm definitely an ibuprofen, which is Motrin is an ibuprofen and Tylenol is acetaminophen. So I'm Motrin slash generic ibuprofen is my pain reliever of choice. Mine too. And I'm sure that's come down from our mother somewhere. I'm sure. Yeah. So just a fun fact, let's talk about the difference real quick between acetaminophen and ibuprofen. I think that'll be great. I was going to ask you that question because now that you say that, I have both in my house, but I use them interchangeably. So what are the benefits of one over the other? Other than which one's downstairs and which one's upstairs so you don't have to walk upstairs to get it. Right. Yeah. Also, another little callback here. Like I mentioned, Motrin... And Tylenol are the big names. So how we talked about in the one episode about big brands, you know, tissues, we call them Kleenex, 
So it's acetaminophen and ibuprofen. So the major difference between acetaminophen and ibuprofen is that ibuprofen is also an anti-inflammatory as well as a pain reliever. So acetaminophen, pain reliever, ibuprofen, also an anti-inflammatory. Interesting. Which might be why people, depending on what you're using it for, feel like it works better. Because it's treating multiple things. So one of them does one thing and one of them does multiple things. Yeah. So they both are pain relievers. And then Motrin slash ibuprofen is also anti-inflammatory. Makes sense. Yeah. So now that we've covered what those are, let's talk about what potassium cyanide is, which is what the Tylenol was laced with that actually killed the victims. I feel like many of us know that cyanide is probably not a great place to start. Right. This information is from the CDC. Potassium cyanide releases hydrogen cyanide gas, which is an asphyxiant that interferes with your body's ability to use oxygen. It is fatal and works quickly. Typically, it is used for fumigation, electroplating, and extracting gold and silver from ores. So it sounds like, from what the CDC says, like an industrial chemical. It has a bitter almond odor. And there's actually a few people that can smell that odor. It's a, I don't want to call it a genetic mutation. I don't know if that's the correct terminology. But a sensitivity. Yes. I'm not a doctor. But your genes code whether or not you can smell cyanide. Interesting. Yes. So this is a specific kind of cyanide. All cyanide have the almond scent? I just looked up potassium cyanide. So I don't know if all cyanide... Well, for another future episode. Well, you know, maybe when we do the 50th hour, we recap, I'll make sure we have this info. There you go. But yeah, so some people, because of their genetics, can smell this. Okay, so let's go over the timeline of what happened. So it starts September 29th, 1982, and will span for three days. The first victim is Mary Kellerman of Elk Grove Village, Illinois. On the same day, Adam Yanis, his brother Stanley, and his brother's wife Teresa in Arlington Heights, Illinois. On the same day is Mary Rainier and Mary McFarlane of Winfield and Elmhurst, Illinois. And then a few days later, Paula Prince of Chicago dies. Rough day to be an Illinoisan? An Illinois? Just an Illinois resident. Yeah, especially in the Chicagoland area. This is all around Chicago. So McNeil Consumer Products, which manufactures Tylenol, and is owned by Johnson & Johnson, recalled 31 million bottles from stores nationwide and immediately stops production. The FDA also issues a statement advising consumers not to take extra strength Tylenol. So I just want to pause here because I forget where I heard it or read it. Oh, I know. It was in the My Favorite Murder podcast. They covered this, but they went really into detail into the timeline of all the deaths and everything because that's what their podcast is about, which P.S. I love. So there was a nurse, because multiple of these victims went to the same hospital, and there was a nurse who put this together before everyone else did. Wow. And she did not get her proper credit. Wow. I wish I had her name. I might have it here. I'm sorry. I misspoke. I do have her name. The nurse's name was Helen Jensen. Oh, Helen. Yes. And so she was the one who really started putting together that the Tylenol was the culprit. Did she work with several several of the individuals? Yes. Several of them were taken to the same hospital. So she's the one who started putting the pieces together and 
first proposed that it was the Tylenol that was the culprit. Wow. Yes. So the tainted capsules were found to have been manufactured in Texas and Pennsylvania, which suggested that the capsules were tampered with after the product was in stores. Because Meaning someone was tampering with the bottles after they were on the shelves. Yeah. So you think you go to your local pharmacy to grab a bottle of Tylenol or... And so someone went into there and tampered with them in the store and then left them on the shelf. Wow. So this is pre-safety packaging. I'm so glad you said that because here I am thinking every time you open a bottle of medication, you've got the safety seal. Sometimes there's even that little ball of cotton or something Mm -hmm. that sits right below it. And I kept thinking, how are they getting something so dangerous beyond those barriers and that no one noticed. I know I'm very diligent about checking that all of those safety things are in place on almost everything I buy, but I feel like for medicine, it's one of those things you wouldn't risk. Right. So we'll get to it, but this case is actually why all those things exist. Oh, all right. I'm ready. Let's do this. So I'm jumping the gun a little bit here, but like I said, the manufacturer of the bottles that were contaminated are two different places, Texas, Pennsylvania. So that leads them to believe that they were tampered with in the store. There were five bottles that led to the victim's death, and the police found a few other contaminated bottles all in the Chicago area. So it's a very concentrated area that this was happening. The FDA, however, tested more than one million capsules outside of the Chicago area and found none other to be contaminated. So someone in Chicago was out for revenge or just to be terrible. Yes. And unfortunately, to this day, we do not know who poisoned the bottles. It's not going to get a happy ending. No, it's not going to get a happy ending. You're making my first episode a morbid ass episode and it's not even going to have a happy ending. It's not. I'm sorry. Your next murder topic better come with a solved case and someone in jail for several <laughs> lifetime sentences. I know. I gotta not do so many downers. I don't feel like, I mean, to me, they're not downers. They're just interesting. They are interesting. All of this is interesting. And obviously it ended up with very reasonable solutions being put in place for future generations protection. So I guess I can count that as like a happy ending, but slightly unsatisfying. Yes, I'm sorry. There was one man named James Lewis who claimed to be the killer and tried to demand $1 million from Johnson & Johnson to make the killing stop. But he lived in New York, and the police could find no ties between him and Chicago and the events that took place. So he was put in jail for extortion. So he tried to take credit, if we can call it that. And so he ended up in jail. Okay, I'll take that. Mild satisfaction. So somebody was in jail. For just being ridiculous. Yeah, I don't... Or for being eerily brilliant and claiming something he actually did and they just couldn't pin him to it, but I feel like ridiculous is a better option. Yeah. I just... What kind of personality do you have to be to want to claim this horrific event and then try and make money on it? Oh, you're for sure the pick-me person. You don't care how you get the attention. You just want it. Yes. He probably needed to be in jail anyway. I don't know him. I'm just a joke. So some suspect that Ted Kaczynski, who's also known as the Unabomber, and I will explain what that is if you're not familiar with what that is. I feel like I'm going to have to do a lot of legwork on true crime to catch up with you. (laughs) Some suspect that he was the culprit since he committed his crimes in the same area just a few years earlier. Interesting. So just really quick 
for Amy and others who don't know who the Unabomber is. Ted Kaczynski is known nationwide for a series of bombings between 1978 and 1995 that targeted scientific universities, airlines, and businesses for their role in the over-industrialization, got that, one take, thank you, of society and destruction of nature. Okay. That's who he is. And then he moved on to Tylenol. Potentially. Could. Maybe. We don't. Yeah, we don't know. Okay. There's some very deep theories about this. If you're interested, go read more. I love a good conspiracy theory. Yeah. So Johnson & Johnson worked with the Chicago Police Department, the FBI, and the FDA to help solve this crime. A month or so later, they reintroduced the capsules in a new triple-sealed package probably similar to what we have now. This incident inspired the pharmaceutical, food, and consumer product industries to develop tamper-resistant packaging and improve quality control methods. So Yay, now, innovation. all of our safety seals. And in 1983, Congress passed the Tylenol bill, making product tampering a federal crime. The pharmaceutical industry also started to move away from capsules, which were easy to contaminate. So when we think of Tylenol now, you probably think of that pressed powder white oblong shape. Tablet. A tablet. A tablet. These were capsules. So think like the two hats that fit together with all the little beads inside. Oh. Which is how they were tampered with. So you can literally pull them apart and dump it out. And then people put the potassium cyanide in it and then stuck the little halves back together. That's a very helpful visual. Not helpful. That sounds bad. Like I understand how they put poison in it now. But it is interesting in the context of today's world how your brain really tries to wrap around how all this is possible. So the context of a capsule is very helpful to understand that. Yes, because as I'm looking at my notes here, I'm realizing, okay, now Tylenol are the pressed powder tablets. Before, two little halves stuck together with all the little powder or the little bead-looking things inside. So you can literally just pull them apart. Because some people used to just pull them apart and dump the powder on their tongue because they think it got into their system faster. Interesting. I also thought when you were saying capsules, like the gel capsules that you sometimes see on the market now where it's... Oh, liquid inside? The liquid inside. Yeah. And then I was imagining a very elaborate like needle insertion process. And then I was thinking, how is this person standing in the middle of insert pharmacy name here in all, you know, putting these tiny needles into all of these capsules? But that's probably not realistic. These are the same same thoughts I have about, like, TV production of how do they make that happen? And it's never as complicated as you think it yeah. is. Yeah, so they probably, probably just bought some capsules, filled them, went in, dumped them in random bottles, and walked out. There you go. Pharmaceutical industry moving away from that capsule-type medicine. Within a year of this incident, the FDA introduced more stringent regulations to avoid product tampering like we mentioned above. And in 1989, the FDA established federal guidelines for manufacturers to make all such products tamper-proof. I think that's probably the best move. Also, I you just have these concepts in your mind that these things have been around. And I guess, right, 1989 is 30-plus years ago. But it just shocks me that it took something like that to be the reason that these things are in place. But I'm glad that they made the moves that they, they do. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it was horrible that this is how we had to figure out to do this, but now everything is much safer. So one other theory that I just thought was interesting when I was doing this research about who committed this crime was that it was a disgruntled Tylenol employee, but 
reading further into this theory, it doesn't, it doesn't really make sense. So like I mentioned earlier, the contaminated capsules came from Texas and Pennsylvania. So it either would have had to been multiple employees coordinating and working together, or one employee would have to travel to multiple manufacturing locations. Was there not a manufacturing location closer to Chicago that would know how to access the bottles appropriately and replace the I mean, capsules? I don't know, but the capsules that were contaminated were some were from Texas manufacturing and one some were from Pennsylvania. So did anybody think that the truck driver was to blame? Did we look into who delivered the capsules to Chicagoland? I don't know. I just was looking at the most popular theories. Interesting. Well, if anyone has any insight on other popular theories, because I really feel like we should be looking at a truck driver here or a stock boy who just had no idea what was happening. But if anyone's got information, I'd love to hear about it. Yes. And I am sure, you know, between the FBI and the local Chicago police that they covered a lot of these things. So what you're telling me is you don't think my theories are unique? I don't know. Like I said, I just looked at the most popular theories. Amy, I only had a day to put this together. I, I'm, I'm and sure I do the have... FBI thought the truck driver was a good person to look at. Too. I'm sure they did. I'm sure they covered all their bases. So I want to mention one unfortunate side effect, since we mentioned a good side effect, was now we have all this product tampering prevention. There were copycats. One of the more well-known copycats was in 1986, two Seattle-area people died after ingesting Excedrin laced with cyanide. They did solve that crime. Yay. It was a woman, Stella Nickel, and one of the victims was her husband. Aww. I didn't do a ton of reading on this because I don't want this episode to go crazy long, but the brief synopsis I've read in a few articles, it sounds like her particular copycat case is a wild ride. So if I follow up on it, maybe we'll add it in the 50th hour, or if it's really crazy, we'll do its own episode. Okay. We look forward to more Morbid Alley episodes. <laughs> I, I sprinkle in good ones, too. I'm looking forward to those also. <laughs> yeah. Dan had mentioned in his episode, I'm totally blanking on which episode it was, but we talked about effective corporate crisis management. Yes. Okay. So I thought we should end with a game because this is an example of great corporate crisis management. Like business schools still use this case, Tylenol's immediate taking of everything off the shelf, testing, working with authorities. I mean, they had a whole bill passed after them. Or law. They had a whole movement from it. Yes. So this was a really good example of a corporation who took control, took responsibility, and did the right thing. So I thought it'd be fun to play a game where... Don't look at the answers. I won't. Amy and I are in the same room for the people who can't see us. (laughs) Amy's a lot more local to me than Dan was. So sometimes we actually get to be together, which will be fun. The game is, I will tell you a failure of corporate crisis management, and you tell me what company it is. And again, just so we don't get in trouble, these are not my opinions. I just looked up articles on the internet who said these are examples of corporate crisis management fails. So take it up with Google. Someone, if you know who to contact at Google, please feel free to do so, because that would be impressive in and of itself. Yes. Okay, so the first one. CEO suggests that some women's bodies just actually don't work for his company's pants. Which his company? company's pants. Okay. What are famous pants companies? Um, well, now I feel bad because what if I'm like Levi's and... Well, I'll tell you Like Levi's wrong. is probably a very upstanding company or they're a trash. Hint? Yeah. Think athletic wear company. 
that has very famous pants or leggings. Lululemon? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. So the Well, Lul- I'm sorry, Levi's, for even insinuating you would. <laughs> so Lululemon's CEO actually said, this is in response to that whole thing about the material was so thin yeah. you could see women's bottoms. I remember that. Through, or not just women, the wearer's bottom through. And he actually said they just don't work for some women's bodies. That's a bold statement to yes. make as someone who doesn't have a woman's body. Yeah. So corporate crisis management fail. Okay, our next one. 2009, when two of a chain food restaurant employees, so two employees at a chain food restaurant, post a video on YouTube of themselves preparing the food in disgusting ways. Taco Bell. No. KFC. No. Arby's. Do you want a hint? Give me a genre of food. Pizza. Pizza Hut. No. Papa John's. No. Little Caesars. No. Hungry Howie. No. (laughs) Okay, I give up. Domino's. Oh! Okay. So there was, in 2009, there was two Domino's employees that posted a video on YouTube of themselves doing gross things to the pizza. And this is a corporate crisis management fail because it took Domino's two days to respond to Uh. the outlash over these videos. Well, that's unfortunate. And I would, I guess, like to give a shout out to Taco Bell because I believe there was an instance that was similar to that where a video was posted of a young man licking taco shells. And I believe that Taco Bell acted very promptly on that. If that's not true, also someone can correct me, but I would like to apologize to everyone's name who I just (laughs) listed off for assuming that anyone would do that. But I do think that was something I had also remembered in that same vein. Yes, that sounds familiar to me too. Yes. Okay, last one. CEO makes a thoughtless comment, I want my life back, to a major disaster causing deaths in his own company of employees, a major environmental hazard, and the disruption of other businesses in the infected area. Not infected, affected area. Um, Oil spill? Yes. BP oil spill 2010. I feel like I remember that. He makes... I didn't write down the whole quote, but he makes some gross quote about, you know, they're working and, you know, he wants it over just as bad as everyone else because he wants his life back. Like, I'm sorry, this is inconveniencing you, sir. That's super unfortunate, especially given how widespread and how impactful something like that was. It's just unfortunate to hear that. But I guess yay for Tylenol for handling that with with urgency and dedication to their consumership. Consumership? I don't know if that's a word, but we're going with it. I lied. I have one more. Okay, I'm ready. Sorry, I was on a different page of my notes. I'm glad I got one right. I'm pretty proud of this. You got Lululemon after a hint. Well, I feel like, okay, 1.5. We'll take 1.5. 1.5, yeah. Okay, last one for real this time. Large media company is hacked. Hackers distribute embarrassing emails from top employees as well as ruin several movie releases. The company responds by giving in to the hackers and not releasing a certain movie and instead sending it straight to video. So the hackers hacked into this major media company because they didn't want a particular movie released. So what's the company that got hacked? And this was in 2013. 20th Century Fox. Close. Sony. Sony. Okay, well, I was... I've got limited knowledge, but I feel like I remember this kind of happening and playing out. Yeah, so the movie was The Interview, which was a film starring Seth Rogen and James Franco, Yeah, which was centered around the assassination plot of North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. Okay. And 
the hackers didn't want this movie released, so they hack in, release all these emails, access hundreds of thousands of employee, you know, information and files. They ruin the release of, I think it was three different movies that Sony had coming out. And actually, Barack Obama, who was president at the time, criticized Sony for giving in to the hackers. Wow. Yeah. So the interview went straight to DVD or whatever. Was the time, yeah. Yeah, 2013, probably DVD. Interesting. Yeah, and was never released in theaters. Okay. That's quite a range of instances. I feel like that really demonstrates... The importance of backing what your place is in your market. I mean, that feels really general as a comment, but like you've got to really know what you're going up against here and then you've got to react appropriately and be sensitive to other people. Yes, 100%. Be kind. I mean, think of all these families who lost family members from a Tylenol poisoning and what they get to take from it is very devastating as a family, but very impactful in terms of regulations and all the things that came from it. So there's, I mean, I know that's probably nothing to the families that went through this, but it's a silver lining in terms of how it turned out. When you think of all the other things you just listed, like, kind of a bummer. Like, they just didn't handle it the right way. Yes. Major, major fails. So real quick before we go, I've seen this and I like this. I think we should mention the victim's name one more time because they're who's important in this story. I agree. I like that. So Mary Kellerman, Adam Giannis, his brother Stanley, Stanley's wife, Teresa, Mary Reiner, and Mary McFarlane, and Paula Prince. And thank you. Shout out to Helen. And Helen, you do, I mean, I can't even give you enough praise. Right. Good job, Helen. Helen, you rocked it. All right. Well, that's all I have for you. Do with that what you will. This has been great. I look forward to episode two. Thanks for letting me join along. If we got anything wrong, you have anything to add, you can email us at 24hourexpert at gmail.com. It's our Instagram, our Facebook, and our website. You can find us there. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to 24 Hour Expert. Our theme song is Lo-Fi World by Ricky Bambino. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so you're notified of future episodes. 